We are in a collection called Holy Ghost, diving deeper into the person of the Holy Spirit, and we are going to continue that today. Now, a few years back, I was with a couple of my friends, and we went ATVing at Pismo Beach. And honestly, the experience was quite traumatizing. I remember we were out there, and I was riding my ATV, but it was going a lot slower than I thought it would be, and my friends were going a lot faster. And I remember I was trying to go up the hills, these sand dunes, but I could never quite make it up the hill. I'd be going up a hill, and then my engine would sputter, and then it would die, and so I'd have to turn around and go back down the hill in shame. And I remember I just could not get up any hill. I couldn't go fast enough, so I was down in the valleys and the low places, just riding around slowly. And so it was a miserable experience. Now, toward the end of our two-hour block, I decide, okay, one last burst of glory. I'm going to go up this hill. I'm going to go as fast as I can. I'm going to believe with all my heart. So I'm gunning it full speed. I'm going up this hill. The wind's in my face. I'm going up. I'm going up. And then the engine sputters, and then it stalls, and I get stuck. And not just stuck where I could turn around and go back down in shame. Like, I'm stuck there in the sand. And so I get off my ATV. I call my friend over. He comes over. He's helping me out. And while he's helping me out, he looks at my ATV and says, bro, have you been in first gear the entire time? I looked at him, there's more than one gear? Like, yeah, bro, there's gear two, gear three, gear four. No wonder you couldn't make it up the hill. You've been in gear one this whole time. And so he showed me how to get to the higher gears. And so once I did that, man, when I revved the engine, I felt this power that I hadn't felt the whole time. And so now I was going faster. I was able to go up the hills. I was flying off the dunes, having the best time. And then our time ended. And I was so depressed heading back to the station. I was like, man, I was riding around this entire time in gear one with so much untapped power. I had this power this whole time to go faster, to go up the hill, but I just didn't tap into it. I wonder how many of us in our spiritual lives are living with untapped power. We're moving, struggling to get up the hill when we were made to soar. I wonder how many of us realize that we have the power of heaven, the authority of the kingdom within us, but we just haven't tapped into it. Bill Johnson from Bethel Church once said, The Holy Spirit is in me for my sake but he's upon me for yours. In other words, there's a difference. You know, last week we talked about Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. There's a difference between God's indwelling presence that's always with me and God's presence that comes upon me, where his power comes upon me, where his power flows through me. And so today we're going to talk about how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, that untapped power so that we could live the lives that God has called us to live. Cool? Y'all excited for that? I sure am. Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Holy Spirit, we pray that today you would awaken something within us, God, to know there is more. God, some of us are like me in Pismo Beach on that ATV. We're in the low place. We're in the valley. We're struggling to get speed. We're struggling to go up the hill. But God, we thank you there is a power in the Holy Ghost that we're able to access. And so God, would you teach us how to do that today? We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Now, we have to start with Jesus. We read about Jesus doing all sorts of miracles, signs, and wonders, like opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, causing the lame to walk. And the question I want to ask you today is this. How was Jesus able to do all of those miraculous things? Some of you are like, oh, he's God. Duh, of course he can. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, he's the Messiah. Of course he's able to do all those miraculous things. I want us to look at Philippians 2, 5 through 7, and this is what Paul writes. He says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I think the thing that we forget is that when Jesus stepped into our world, he laid down his God powers. Case in point, God is omnipresent, meaning he's, he's present everywhere in space and time, but Jesus was not. He was a single man who existed in a single time in a single space. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. Jesus was not. Jesus got tired. Jesus got weary. Jesus got sleepy. Jesus got hungry. God is omniscient, all-knowing. Jesus was not. There were times he'd show up and he'd ask, how long have they been dead? How long have they been sick? Jesus was not all-knowing. See, Jesus laid down his God powers when he stepped into the world. Dr. Gary Brashear says he laid down the God card as if there's an all-access card to the universe that gets you anywhere. And when God became human, he set that aside. And so if Jesus laid down his God card when he came in the form of a human, including his God power, then where did he get his power from? We're going to look at a passage that we looked at last week, John 3, 21 through 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Where did Jesus get his power? Jesus got his power from the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus do miracles? In the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus cast out demons? In the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus live supernaturally? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, power is an interesting word. I think when we talk about power, we usually think of control, right? Someone in power uses their authority to control or coerce others. But I think it's interesting in this account that Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and not some other bird like an eagle. You know, the eagle was representative bird of the Roman Empire. They were a symbol of power and might. And empires throughout history have long adopted um, animals like eagles and lions as their emblems. They represented strength and the power to conquer and to rule. But it says something. The Holy Spirit came not in the form of an eagle or in the form of a lion, but in the form of a dove a representative of peace, a bird of covenant. 
Meaning that this power that God gives Jesus through the Holy Spirit is not one to be used to conquer or control or coerce. This power is a power to love, to lay down one's life, to elevate others higher than self. I think it's interesting that here in America, the symbol of our nation is what? The eagle. And you can probably imagine like that eagle looking regal, right? With the American flag waving behind it and Right? The eagle, the symbol of empire, the symbol of power, the symbol of conquest. But the people of God are called to be like doves, laying down their lives instead of taking it by force, laying down their power to exalt others. And when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about empowerment to love others. And this is exactly how Jesus used his power, isn't it? Instead of using this power to take over the world, overthrow the Roman government, he uses it to lay down his life for the world in love. And so Jesus gets this power from the Holy Spirit, empowerment to love. Now, Messiah, Jesus was the Messiah. Messiah actually more literally means anointed one. But actually a more, even more literal translation would actually be oily one. Jesus, the oily one. Not as marketable, but gives a guy like me hope because I'm super oily. Jesus, the anointed one, the oily one. Why? Anointing was the ritual act of pouring oil over someone's head or body. And so Jesus was the oily one. Another way of looking at Jesus as Messiah was one who was anointed by the Spirit as if oil was flowing down his head all over his body. He was anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so cool, we get all this. Jesus, he got his power from Holy Spirit. He was able to do all these supernatural miracles, do all these amazing things. Now, why does this matter for us? I'll tell you why. Jesus' power to perform miracles came from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, you and I don't need to be God. You and I don't need to be divine. You and I don't need to be perfect to do what Jesus did. We just need the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, man, because I am so far from being like Jesus. But listen, we can live a life of power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is the prototype for all of his followers, meaning what he did, how he lived, is what we as believers are called to. But not only are we called to do what Jesus did, we are able to and we're empowered to by the Holy Spirit. I want to look at John 14. These are Jesus' very own words. He says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, all the things that I've been doing, guess what? You're going to do them too and in even greater measure. 
You know, when he says you'll do greater things, he's not saying that you're going to one-up everything that I've done. I mean, what's, what's greater than raising someone from the dead? I don't know. But he's, he, what he meant was in greater measure, there will be an increase in miraculous activity because Jesus was just one person in time and space, but now Holy Spirit is upon every believer. So naturally, there should be an increase in greater volume, in greater measure of the things that he did. And how? A few verses after, Jesus says this in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. In other words, Holy Spirit and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And so Jesus is the prototype anointed by the Holy Spirit, moving in signs and wonders, performing miracles, accessing the power of God. Now we with the advocate, with the Holy Spirit, will do what Jesus did and in greater measure. I was in Korea. I talked a little bit about that trip last week, but I remember we were at this school and we're doing an English program slash Christian program for some kids from the inner city. I think there were close to like a couple hundred kids. And, you know, I remember a couple of people from our team were charged with uh, planning the games But honestly, looking back, it was probably a bad idea. You know, there are some people that shouldn't be in charge of planning some things. And we we relegated the responsibility to plan a game session with hundreds of kids in one gym auditorium. And what they decided to do was free-for-all dodgeball. And so what they would do is they, they lined up a bunch of balls in the middle of the gym. And with every kid on the floor... They would blow the whistle, they'd have to run, and they'd play dodgeball. Now, in my mind at the time, I was thinking, this is a recipe for disaster. Hundreds of kids running at each other full speed. We only have like 16 teachers. This is not going to go well. And so when they asked, does anyone want to sit on the bench with the kids that don't want to play? I I raised my hand really quick. And so I remember sitting on the bench, and I knew it was going to be crazy. The whistle blew, and lo and behold, it was madness. It was Sparta. It was crazy. And so kids are like hitting each other. Kids are crying. Kids are laughing. Kids are out of control. And I remember just in my peaceful space, just sitting on the bench. But I remember as I was sitting, a kid came up to me. He said, "Ah, I hurt my leg. I hurt my leg. So he sat next to me. And you know, during that season, God had been speaking to me saying, listen, if I did it before, I can do it again. So I remember I looked at the kid. I said, you know what? Um, This might be kind of weird, but can I pray for your hurt leg? I I just really feel like Jesus can heal you. Kid was like, sure, whatever. And so I'm praying for this kid, and I said, God, would you please do what you've done before because you have empowered us to do what you did. And so, God, I pray healing over his leg. And I remember the kid looked up to me, at me after the prayer. He's like, whoa, my leg feels better. And he jumped up on his feet. He was like hopping around on it. He's like, whoa, cool. I was like, you want to go back in? He's like, no, it's scary out there. So he sat with me. Remember another kid came over. She hurt her arm. And so I was like, you know what? Can we pray for you? And so I'm praying for her arm. And as I'm praying, this little kid who I just prayed for his leg puts his hand on her arm too. And he's praying too. And so we're praying together. And after we pray, the girl looks up at us like, wow, that feels better. I feel like I can throw again. I was like, you want to go back out there? No, it's scary. So she sits with us too. More kids come and we're just praying for people and people are feeling better. 
And I'm explaining to these kids why we're doing this. Why are we doing it? Is it a cool parlor trick? Is it a magic trick? I mean, were they seriously injured? Probably not. But God was doing something in that moment. He was showing them. He was showing me that we are called to do what Jesus did. And we can through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so cool. We're called and empowered to do miracles. At this point, some of you are asking, but why? Why? Why do these weird signs and wonders, unexplainable things, why are these miracles something that God calls us to do? I mean, if you think about it from an earthly perspective, miracles are kind of pointless. You know, all those people that Jesus raised from the dead eventually died again. All those blind eyes that were opened eventually probably went bad in old age. The lame who were healed, their bodies eventually broke down. And so why, why do these miracles if we're still going to die, if our bodies are still going to decay? The point of a miracle isn't the miracle itself. Miracles are signs pointing to something greater. If you remember, the core message of Jesus' ministry here on earth was the kingdom of God is here. And so when Jesus did miracles, there were signs pointing to God's inbreaking kingdom. Every miracle pointed to God's coming kingdom. When blind eyes were opened, it's a sign that the kingdom was coming when all eyes would be open. When the sick were being healed, it's a sign that a kingdom is coming where there is no disease or death. When bread is multiplied, it's a sign of a kingdom coming where there is no lack. Miracles point us toward the coming kingdom and give us a taste of it right here, right now. And so when Jesus performed miracles, it wasn't so much to show the world that he was God. It was a part of that. But when Jesus did miracles, it was an announcement. It was a sign showing, listen, there is a kingdom coming that is different from this world where there will be no blind, there will be no tears, there will be no death, there will be no uh, imprisonment. All will be free. There is a coming kingdom, and these miracles are a sign of that coming kingdom and an opportunity to experience it right here and right now. Now, come on, isn't that powerful? Theologian N.T. Wright, he says, The Spirit is given so that we, ordinary mortals that we are, can ourselves be, in a measure, what Jesus himself was. Part of God's future arriving in the present, a place where heaven and earth meet, the means of God's kingdom going forwards. Listen, you and I, We're places where heaven and earth meet. We are signs pointing to a coming reality. I remember we were in Thailand, and this was during a time when, you know, God was starting to awaken my heart, even just getting me comfortable with the idea that maybe God is still moving in the same ways that he did during Jesus' day. And we came across this one village, and the person that we were connecting with brought us a man who, when he walked into the room, he was hunched over. But not only that, it looked like there was like this really hard exterior growth 
on his back. And so he was walking. He couldn't even look up. That's how bent over he was. He was looking straight down at the ground. And the person told us a story of what had happened to him, something about he ate like food sacrificed to idols or something to turtle God. And when he took it, his back became like that. We don't know if that story is true, but nonetheless, his physical condition spoke for itself. And he was, he was hunched over like a turtle and he was bent over and he could not look up. And I remember the thing that all of us felt in that moment is that this is where heaven and earth meet. This is an opportunity to see a sign, a glimpse of God's coming kingdom where this man in the kingdom of God will be able to walk upright, will be able to be healthy. And so we remember praying for this man. And the way we prayed, we were all dramatic. We're like, we're going to march around the room seven times, so you're going to walk with us. We're going to pray for you as you're walking, like the walls of Jericho, and God's going to break down this disease. And so we're walking around with him. And you know, the first lap we do, like he's still bent over, he can't look up. But the next lap, as we're praying for him, it's like his back arched up a little bit. And then the next lap, it arched up a little bit more. And then another lap, and it arches up even more. At this point, he'd never been able to raise his hands above his head because of his orientation. But, but he starts lifting up his hand, and it's getting higher and higher and higher. And I swear, around the seventh lap, his back went from completely 90 degrees bent to 100% straight. And he's lifting up his hands. And at this point, he's not just walking. He's running around, and he's like celebrating. He's worshiping. And at that moment, he said, I want to give my life to this Jesus. This, this, this ailment that I've been living with, that I've been suffering through, I want to meet the one who has healed me. I want to know about this kingdom that's coming, that's able to release a power to do this, where no doctor, no self-help, no exercise could have done this. Now the power of God has set me free. Now the power of God has healed me. And he said, wow, I see. This is the king. This is the kingdom that I want to be a part of. Listen, you and I are places where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter the king and the coming kingdom. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Paul writes, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Saying Holy Spirit is a deposit Guaranteeing your inheritance, guaranteeing the coming kingdom. And that word deposit or down payment is the Greek word arabon, which in modern Greek translates to engagement ring. You know, when I was picking out Krista's engagement ring, I was so nervous. I mean, I'm spending more money than I've ever spent before. But not only that, I know she's going to wear this for the rest of her life. And so she better like it. But I also knew that Every time she would look at this ring, she would remember the covenant, the promise that we're making to one another to continue in life in covenant, loving one another, protecting one another, believing the best about one another. The ring was a sign. It was a deposit of a coming wedding, but also of a coming marriage of a life. And in the same way, Holy Spirit in you, what Paul is saying is like an engagement ring, a sign in the present of what is promised to come in the future, a sign that the kingdom of God is coming, a sign that death is defeated, a sign that injustice is ending. 
And this is why when Jesus preached, when the apostles preached, they always followed their sermons with what? A demonstration of power. Why? Were they trying to show off? No, they wanted to put their money where their mouths were. They wanted to talk, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. The kingdom of God is coming, and you can get a preview of it right now. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's so sad that much of the church today has given up the mantle of believing for miracles and the supernatural and the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it breaks God's heart that there are churches that no longer believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are active or needed today. If anything, we need a demonstration of God's power now more than ever in our day of skepticism and and becoming less Christianized. We need a demonstration of God's power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. At this point, you're probably thinking, all right, cool. This is all great theoretically, but I don't see this power in my life. I mean, I barely have enough power to stop watching porn, to stop, you know, lusting on my dating app. I barely have enough power to forgive those who have hurt me. How do I tap into this power of the Holy Spirit? And so I want to spend the rest of my time talking about that. Listen, there is a correlation between how we live and the power of God we see in our lives. And if we were to break this down into a formula, um, this is what we're going to work with today. And so I want you to jot this formula down. Intimacy plus holiness plus faith equals power. Intimacy plus holiness plus faith equals power. Now, intimacy. Remember, Holy Spirit is God's person. Holy Spirit is not a power or a force. I think a better way of looking at the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person's power. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is not this invisible force, but it's a person's power. Um, Let's say I needed to move a heavy piano. And so I think about one of the strongest guys that I know. So I ask Ying to come over to help me. Now, when I try to move the piano, I'm not channeling the power of Ying from a distance. I'm not saying, may the power of Ying fill me up. Ying Mo, go. Like, I'm not channeling his power. I'm inviting Ying over to literally help me move the piano. And in the same way, we're not asking for Holy Spirit's power to be channeled through us or in us. We're asking for a person's power. Now, if you grew up in a charismatic setting, you're probably familiar praying something like, we want more, right? We want more, God. We want more Holy Spirit. We want more. I mean, we would pray that all the time. And at one point, I started asking if we already have Holy Spirit within us, what am I really praying when I ask for more? You know, I have a friend who leads worship, and this person is notoriously known for repeating an ungodly amount of times lyrics in a song. And and the things he chooses to repeat are the things you're not supposed to repeat. And so there's a song called Set a Fire by United Pursuit. There's a tag in it where it goes, we want more, 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 we want more more of your, right? We're singing that, right? We want more, we want more, we want more. 
And he's repeating this. I swear, for 30 minutes, we're singing, we want more, we want more. And at first, I'm like, yeah, we want more. By 15 minutes, I'm like, I don't want any more. I have enough. Are there only pieces of himself that he's giving us? Is he holding something back from us? No. God gives all of himself to us. We have all of Holy Spirit. So what are we really saying when we say we want more? What we're saying is when we want more of Holy Spirit, we're not talking about having more power, but more relationship. Um, take marriage, for example. You know, Chris and I belong to one another. We have each other. We're committed to one another for life. Yet there is this never-ending yearning that I have that wants more of her. I want a deeper relationship. I want to get to know her more. I want to spend more time with her. This week, we got into a fight, a pretty bad fight. And, you know, we woke up, we went to bed that night angry at each other. We woke up the next morning and Krista decided, I want to spend a day away just to process my thoughts. And so she went up to Sacramento to spend time with her parents and she took fig. And right now all of our cat is with my parents. So I was at home alone and I'm just sitting there in misery alone, totally depressed. I remember I lost the taste of food in my mouth. I ordered food to eat like my favorite foods and they didn't taste like anything because she wasn't here with me. And I was being all dramatic and sad. And I remember when she came home that night, I remember the first hug where we embraced. Both of us were just in tears. And there's internally, there's this yearning. And I don't know if you've ever felt this when you're hugging someone. It's like, you're not close enough. I know we're as close as we can be and I'm hugging you with all of my, but you're not close enough. I still want more of you. It's not enough. And in the same way, when we long for more of Holy Spirit, we're not saying, God, I need more of your power. I need to channel more of your energy. No, it's saying, I want more of you. I want more of this relationship that I love so much. And so this is why practicing the presence of God is so important. This is why prayer is so important. This is why setting aside time to listen for God's voice is so important. All of it builds our intimacy with God, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so if we want to see more power in our lives, we need to develop intimacy with God. And as we grow in relationship with Holy Spirit, we also grow in his power. But we're not longing for the power. We're longing for the person. So intimacy plus holiness. Now, holy is in his name, Holy Spirit, first name, holy, last name, spirit. So it's probably important to explore. Uh, There is a correlation between holiness and God's flow of power in our lives. Uh, I think a good, helpful definition of holiness is holiness is being set apart for God's special purposes. Now, this is twofold. It's what we are set apart from and what we are set apart for. Now, first, holiness is being set apart from the world. I think it's important we remember Holy Spirit has feelings. You know, the Bible says that it's possible to grieve Holy Spirit. And so when we sin, we hurt Holy Spirit's feelings. And once again, if we center all of this around developing a relationship with Holy Spirit, we don't want to grieve him because we love him. In the same way, you wouldn't want to do something to hurt your partner or your best friend or your family. We don't want to hurt Holy Spirit's feelings. And so being set apart from the world means saying no to the things that will grieve 
God, saying no to lust, saying no to greed, saying no to hate, saying no to bitterness or jealousy or anger, saying no to slander or gossip. Listen, there are things I say no to as Krista's husband, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because I love her and I don't want to hurt her. I say no to looking at other women lustfully because I love Krista and I don't want to hurt her. In the same way, we say no to some things in the world because we know it hurts the heart of God. That means on the outside, you you might look like everyone else here in San Francisco. You might dress the way they dress. You might wear your Yeezys. You might look like this and that. But how you live is set apart. It's different. It should look different. So if you feel tension between your lifestyle and the lifestyle of your coworkers or your non-believing friends, this is why. It's part of our calling. It's part of our love relationship with God. And in fact, if there is no tension, no distinction at all between your lifestyle and the lifestyle of those you know that don't know God, I would probably look deeper into why that is. Because you and I are called to be set apart from the world. Now, I do want to make a distinction. It's important to note that when you sin, God's witness isn't affected, but your witness is. Meaning, Your sin doesn't affect your proximity to God, your withness with God, that you are with him, that he is with you. Sin doesn't separate you from God. I remember growing up, I had this this wrong belief that every time I sinned, it's like I inched away further from God. And so what my weeks would look like is me inching more and more away from God. And then on Sunday, I would repent and get close to him again. So now we're, we're close again. And then throughout the week, I'm sinning and we're inching further and further away. That is not theologically correct. Listen, God is present with you. His presence is with you. It's closer than it'll ever be and it will never leave you, right? And so God's withness is not affected. Sin doesn't affect your proximity to God, but it does affect God's flow of power through you, your witness to the world, the demonstration of God's power in your life. And so that's why holiness is so important. That even though his presence, indwelling presence is still there, your witness is affected. And so holiness is being set apart from the world, but holiness is also being set apart for God. You know, just like there are things that grieve Holy Spirit, there are things that please him as well. Setting aside time in your busy work day to pray and listen for his voice. Choosing forgiveness instead of bitterness when that person wronged you. Doing justice when you see people being oppressed. You know, for Krista, I know the things that I say no to that would hurt her. But I also know the things that when I say yes to will please her, make her happy. Like if I go to Andytown sporadically, pick up a snowy plover and a breakfast sando with hot sauce, I know it brings delight to her heart. And so holiness is not so much about what we're set apart from, but also what we are set apart for. And what we are set apart for is just as important as what we are set apart from. And so there's this correlation between how we live and God's power in our lives. There's a correlation between holiness and God's power flowing through us. And for this reason, every temptation you face is an opportunity to grow in God's power. 
Woo, some of you didn't catch that. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to tweet it myself right now. Every temptation that you face is an opportunity to grow in God's power. Every time you obey, instead of succumbing to temptation, you're growing in God's power. That means that moment when you're in a chat with your coworkers and the temptation to slander your boss crosses your mind, you have an opportunity in that moment to grow in God's power. That means when you're up late at night and the temptation to watch porn hits, you have an opportunity to grow in God's power. That means that person that you've been talking to on Hinge or whatever it is and you you, you know it's not good for you, but you decide to abstain. You're growing in God's power. I think a helpful way is to look back to the dove. Now, imagine that a dove descends upon you, and the dove is the Holy Spirit, and you want to keep that dove on you. I think the best way that I can think of this is if you've ever been to the conservatory here in San Francisco, they have a, a butterfly garden. You know, I don't know why, but optimistically, every time I go to the butterfly garden, I think, oh, butterflies are going to land on me, on my nose, on my fingertips. They're going to have fun, dance around. Butterflies never land on you. But I remember one time I went, a butterfly landed on my shoulder. And I was so, I was so hyped. I was like, this never happens. I got to take a phone of it. I got to gram it, right? And so I'm, I'm, every movement that I make is with the awareness that the butterfly is on my shoulder. And I don't want it to depart. So I'm moving carefully. I'm grabbing my phone carefully. I'm moving in slow motion. Every motion I have has intent. It's with care because I don't want the butterfly to depart. You know, another example is Sumi. You know, Gabby's dog is very high energy dog, always running around, always wanting to play. You know, whenever we watch Sumi, Fig ends up hiding under the couch after 15 minutes because he's too tired to play and Sumi could play all day. But there are rare moments when you're watching Sumi where she gets tired and she falls asleep on you. I remember one afternoon she got tired and she fell asleep on my lap. I'm like, whoa, this is so rare. I got to be careful. And so every movement that I made, I made carefully. Every move that I made was with intention because I didn't want her to leave. And in the same way, Holy Spirit is upon us. He's with us. He's always with us, yes. But he's upon us. He empowers us. And every step that we take, we want to make sure we're in step with the Spirit. Like he's a dove, like he's a butterfly, like Holy Spirit is sumi on me. We want to make sure that every move that we make keeps him there. That he doesn't depart. That we do, don't do things that grieve him, but we do things that please him, that keep us in our lives. And so intimacy plus holiness plus faith. On 26 of the 29 healing accounts in the Bible, there is a mention of faith. And so there is a relationship between what we believe God can and will do and what God actually does. Jordan saying, he wrote, God's main goal is to encourage us to trust his love. So it makes perfect sense that he would arrange things so that power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing it. Miracle working faith genuinely believes that God is eager, like he's, he's anticipating for the goodness of miracles. Now, faith doesn't mean working yourself up, shouting in tongues. It doesn't mean going super sane and going, shout out. Like, faith isn't always loud. In fact, I think sometimes faith looks like quiet confidence with nothing to prove. 
Faith isn't all that outward stuff. I mean, you can be loud, sure. That's great, but that's not what faith is. Just because you're louder doesn't mean more faith is flowing through you. Faith is simply an inward trusting that God is eager to pour out his goodness. One of my friends told me a story about her pastor back home in Seattle was a a woman and a very mild-mannered, like quiet, almost regal woman. And she would be invited to all these charismatic conferences. And I don't know if you've heard charismatic preachers, but, you know, they're always loud and bold and super expressive. And so the speakers before her are like, yes, God, more Holy Spirit. We love you. Come and repent. God is moving. They're like shouting and high energy. And then they call her up and she's like walking up super chill. She gets to the mic. And even the way she speaks, it's almost like a whisper she was telling me is like, Holy Spirit is here right now, and he wants to touch you. And she barely gave like a two-minute talk, and, you know, my friend would tell me these stories of like one time, she's like, I see God lighting a match in each of your hearts, and the fire is dimming. But today, he wants to blow on that fire and light you ablaze. And she told me as she did that, in the most quietest, gentle, most gangster way, the entire room encountered God. People were in tears. People were falling out in the spirit. People were falling to the floor, experiencing God's love. People were repenting. People were giving their lives to God. Why? Not because she was loud or, you know, expressing faith in a bold and a loud way. No, because she had a quiet, inward confidence that genuinely believe that God was eager for our goodness. And so the question I want to ask you is this. Why, why don't we believe the way that we are called to believe? You know, I believe that the reason why miracles are so few and far between in our day is because we rarely put ourselves in positions where they're necessary. Come on, how many of you know that faith cannot grow where it's not needed? And so I think the best way to grow in faith is risk. We have to put ourselves in situations and positions where faith is actually necessary. Let me ask you, when's the last time you stepped out in faith? When's the last time you risked something in faith? You went out on a limb with something to lose. I remember the first time I was really growing in my gift of prophetic ministry. Um, There's something called words of knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit found in Scripture. You ever have someone pray for you, and they just happen to know all of your business, all of what you're going through? That's what's called a word of knowledge. God gives you insight about something, a true reality or a fact, or something someone's going through. So I remember I wanted to practice words of knowledge during that season, so I went to a retreat and I remember during the service in worship, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Come on, I want, you to, I want you to step out and risk. I want you to step out, and I want you to practice words of knowledge. So they call me up. I'm about to speak. And I'm, 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 up, I'm up, up there, and I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, I'm not sure, but I kind of feel like God highlighting a Johnny, and Johnny has pain in his leg. Super random and abstract, right? So I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm like, listen, guys. Before I get into the word, I just feel like, no, I know, like, I'm going to step in faith. I know there's a Johnny in this room. And so listen, if your name is Johnny, I feel like God has a word for you. I feel like, you know, your legs have been hurting and God wants to show you a sign of his kingdom today. So where's Johnny? 
So I'm waiting there. And you know, like 10 seconds is cool. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's going for it. I wonder where Johnny is. And then it's like 30 seconds. And so at that point, I'm like, all right, Johnny, come on. I know you're here. Like two minutes pass and no one raises their hand. People are, it's like awkward now. Like, uh, is he going to move on? Like, and so I'm like, all right, cool. Johnny, I know you got the word. Let's get into the word today. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, man, my reputation, my, you know, everything. It was so embarrassing. But, you know, I still believe to this day there was a Johnny in that crowd. But regardless, if we want to see God's power in our lives, we have to risk. We have to risk getting it wrong sometimes. We have to risk failure. We have to risk our reputation. We have to risk our embarrassment. We have to risk if we want to see faith. We have to produce the kind of environment where faith can grow. Uh, I want to tell just one more story. Uh, we were in Korea in 2011, and at the time, I was with the ministry. We were going into the red light districts of Korea, and what, our goal at the time was to minister to women who were thinking about leaving the sex industry and just encouraging them, not like forcing them out, but just encouraging them saying, you know, if you want to leave, you can. And these are resources that can help you if you want to leave. And so I remember we broke up into teams, and, you know, we're in Korea, and if you know anything about me, I have the worst Korean in the world. Like, my Korean is atrocious. I have, I have white friends that speak better Korean than I do. It's embarrassing. So I remember we were out in the streets. I was with my team. And we get to an alleyway. And in the middle of the alley, I see a drunk old man. And for some reason, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm making all sorts of excuses to God. God, I don't speak Korean God, I don't know how to minister to this man. God, I'm not even sure if you're speaking. Shoot, I'm remembering that that words of knowledge altar call fail. Like, God, like, what if you don't move? It's going to be so embarrassing. It's going to be weird. Is this drunk man going to attack me? I don't know. But, but I kept feeling like Holy Spirit saying, go. So I walk up to the drunk man, and I don't know what happened. I blink my eyes, but when I open, I found us in an embrace. And he's sobbing in my arms. And we're like falling more and more to the ground. We find ourselves on our knees in the middle of an alleyway, a drunk old Korean man crying in my arms. And out of nowhere, I start speaking to him. Man, the father's love is upon you. God loves you so much. Doesn't matter what you've done. He sees your heart. He knows you. Wants you to know you're a son. And halfway through speaking, I realized something. I'm not speaking in English. I'm speaking in Korean. I'm speaking in perfect Korean, words that I don't, I mean, if you know Korean, you know Korean sermons and religious terms are another level. It's a higher level of Korean, but I'm saying all these things to this man, like the anointing of the Holy Spirit's upon you, the Father's love is in you, he loves you, he sees you. And I prayed for him, and he had this radical encounter with God. I'm doing it all in Korean. I get up, and then we, we bounce, and I'm like, oh my God. I try to speak Korean again, and it still sucks. What happened? This power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed me. I had to risk. I had to step out in faith, even when I was incompetent, even when there was risk of failure. When we step out in risk, we provide and create an environment where Holy Spirit's power can move. And so intimacy 
plus holiness plus faith equals power. If we want to live lives of power, we have to build intimacy with Holy Spirit. We have to live lives of holiness that are pleasing to him. And then we have to step into faith, step out and risk whatever it is that's in our lives in order to see his power move. Now this week, we want to challenge you to believe for something supernatural, something miraculous. Uh, Maybe you've been hoping for a breakthrough in an area, but haven't seen it come to pass. Pray for something miraculous this week. Maybe you need God to move in a relationship that's been at a standstill. Pray for something miraculous this week. Maybe you come across someone who needs physical healing. Maybe you need some sort of physical healing. Pray for something miraculous. Pray for something that cannot be explained otherwise but it has to be the power of God. Listen, I don't remember who said this, some athlete, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. This week, simple, take a shot. Believe for something miracle, miraculous. Pray for something supernatural. Pray for something that only God can do. Let's activate our faith. Let's step out and risk, and let's live lives of intimacy and holiness with the Spirit. I want to ask you, what would 99 look like if we flowed in the power of the Holy Spirit? What would it look like if we actually lived like Jesus and did what he did? Going back to theologian N.T. Wright, he says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. What if we could be a people that witness to the world that this is where heaven and earth meet? That they see us and we're not just talking the talk. We're not just saying the kingdom of God is this and the kingdom of God is that. But we're showing people this is a glimpse of the coming kingdom. This is where heaven and earth meet. Not because I'm God, not because I'm powerful, but because Holy Spirit is upon me. Because the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost is in me. This is what I long for for our community. Listen, I don't care about being known for a church that operates in signs and wonders, and we have this special anointing to heal. No, I don't care about the reputation. I care that when we come before God, we can say, we have made a place for you, Holy Spirit. We have made a place where your power can thrive, where your power can grow, where we can see your coming kingdom expressed right here and right now. And so church, let's do it. This week, Believe for something miraculous. Pray for something supernatural. And let's see it come to pass. Let's see God move in extraordinary power in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are such a powerful God. And Holy Spirit, today we address the fact that you are powerful beyond our wildest imagination. But we we confess we don't want you for your power. We want you because we love you, because we want to build a relationship with you. But I thank you in growing deeper and deeper relationship with you, you begin to express your power in our lives. And so God, would you give us conviction to live lives of holiness? Would you give us passion to pursue you in intimacy? And would you give us faith to step out in the miraculous? I just feel like there's an anointing this week for unanswered prayers. There's things that you've been praying for a long time, but but I just feel like God's saying, pray with supernatural faith. Pray for a miracle. 
And I just feel there's a grace to see God move in ways that you might not have seen in praying and praying and praying for these specific things. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We love you. We thank you for being God's empowering presence. May we see your power flow in our lives. May we be places, temples where heaven and earth meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.